I wanna welcome those of you that this is your first time checking out Elevate Church. My name is Colby. I'm the pastor here, and we're wrapping up this series called Mind Monsters. And I have a lot of ground to cover today, so I need you to kind of, kind of roll with me. Judges chapter six, if you have your Bible. If you don't, it's gonna be up here on the screen. We also have some Bibles in the back, and our team would be happy to grab you one if you don't have one. But Judges chapter six is where we're going to be. Let me set this up for you just a, a little bit. Um, the Midianites uh, in Judges chapter six really have taken control over God's people, the Israelites, and they've done so with this massive army, 135,000 strong. And this massive army is keeping all the Israelites in line, in check. They've stopped their food source, they've suppressed them, they've subjugated them. In fact, anytime uh, one of the Israelites would, would want to grow something, uh, like some food or whatever, they would come in in the middle of the night and destroy it, like take it all down. So if you wanted to eat, you had to go to the Midianite Wegmans in order to like get some food, right? Because they, they ran that whole thing. And so it was during this season in the Israelites' life that they cried out to God, God, we need your help. Like what's going on here? You said you would rescue us. You said you would, you would save us. You would keep us. And, and they're crying out to God in these moments. And how many of you know that sometimes it's those hard times in your life that can actually, in hindsight, be the best times? Because what it's done is it's, it's caused you to draw your attention towards God. It's caused you to, that, that dark day in your life caused you to be, have a, a catalytic effect so that you would draw nearer and nearer to God. And that's what's happening in the story. They're experiencing these dark days and so they're, they're crying out to God. And God is about to raise up a deliverer. A judge is where we find the book of Judges. The judges, these weren't like Judge Judy judges, by the way. Uh, these were kind of more like uh, the Avengers. God was assembling these, these Avengers. So one guy he'd raise up was the guy that would, you know, get angry and get mad and, and smash things. That would be Samson, all right? So he's kind of like an Avenger. The one that we're going to see that he raises up uh, is kind of like Captain America, but we find him like pre-gamma uh, radiation Captain America. We find this guy when he is 90 pounds soaking wet. He's just a little kind of weakling, and his name is Gideon. And we're going to see Gideon's call and God's call uh, to, to, on Gideon's life for him to join the team of judges to help deliver the Israelites. Look at it with me in verse 11. It says, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah. Now, um, I knew she was old, but this is ridiculous, right, right here? I'm kidding, Ophrah, all right? That belonged to Joash, the Abizarite, where his son Gideon, now here's our, here's our Avenger, here's our Captain America, Gideon, uh, he was threshing wheat in a wine press and keeping it from the Midianite army. So what's going on in this passage is, is Chicken Little, that's what's going on. Like he's hiding, he's, he's threshing Wheat. So what, what that is, is you take wheat and you kind of, you know, go up to a high place, a hilltop, wherever, where the wind was blowing, and you thresh it in order for the, the grain to get separated from the chaff. And so the grain being heavier would fall to the ground. So that's what Gideon's doing. He's managed somehow to grow some wheat. Uh, maybe he's hidden it from the Midianites. Maybe he had this, you know, illicit wheat growing activity in his basement. He had some grow lights. I don't know what he had going on. But he figured out how to grow some wheat and keep it from them, so now he decides I need to, you know, kind of thresh this wheat, I need to get the grain. And he's doing it, though, in a wine press. Does anybody see any problems with that? Like, there's no wind. 
So, so how is this, this really happening? Some scholars uh, kind of suggest that what he was doing was taking handfuls of wheat, throwing it up in the air in front of him, and going, <laughs> like blowing on it in order for the grain to fall. And this little bit of grain that he would get, you know, he would, he would take and grind up and, and make a snack out of it. So why is he doing this in a wine press? Because it says he was afraid of the Midianites. So he's in secret, uh, kind, of, kind of doing this activity. And look who shows up in verse 11, uh, calls this guy the angel of the Lord. By the way, whenever you see that in the Old Testament, angel of the Lord, capital L, that is Jesus. That is a pre-incarnate Christ. The theological term is a Christophany. That's who that is. It's Jesus appearing before him. And Jesus uh, says to him, look at this, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. That's who he calls Chicken Little, who's hiding in the wine press. Mighty warrior. You're a mighty warrior. But, sir, Gideon replies, do you not see my general, you know, Chicken Little behavior hiding here in the wine press? Are you sure you got the right guy? He says, uh, Gideon says, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the wonders that our father told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. So the Lord turned to him, the Bible said, and I, I gotta think in that moment, he kind of like grabbed him by his shoulders. You know when you wanna get somebody's full attention, that you turn to them, you grab them, you, you look them in the eye, and he said, go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands, am I not sending you? Uh, in this moment, Gideon pushes back. He was rejecting the goodness of God. He was rejecting the power of God on the basis of what God hadn't done. He said, weren't you supposed to rescue us? Weren't you supposed to, to save us? When God is trying to tell Gideon, hey, that's the reason I'm standing before you right now. That very thing that you're complaining about, me doing or not doing, that's actually the reason that I, I've come to you. And I think sometimes you and I, we do the same thing. We complain to God about where he hasn't shown up or the things that he hasn't done in our lives when he's saying, hey, I'm, I'm coming to you to do something about that thing you want done in your life. Like I'm giving you the ability to, to handle it. Like you need to be the change that you wanna see in the world, that it starts with you, So that's what he's doing in front of Gideon. He says, Gideon, I'm here to talk to you about that thing you're complaining about. But I need you to get involved in this. And it says this in verse 15, but Gideon asks, but Lord, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you. I will go with you. He says, if that's the case, then together, right, you and I will strike down the Midianites Together, what happens is, is Gideon obeys. Uh, in fact, after that meeting with Jesus, he goes out in the cover of darkness and starts tearing down these idols that the Israelites have, had erected to the false gods Baal and Asherah. And so he starts going and tearing them down because here's what Gideon understands. There is no point in me getting an army together and defe defeating the Midianites if, you know, we still have have these issues in our life. Um, the Israelites were trying to be like the culture around them and adopt their gods when God had called them to be distinct and different from the culture around them, just like he's called us, right, to be in the world, but not of the world. And Gideon said, I realize there's no point in me defeating this army if I don't pull the clog out of the drain to begin with. 
The reason why God wasn't blessing them, the reason why water wasn't flowing in the first place is because they turned their heart's attention and affection towards these, these other false gods. So Gideon knows right from the start, I gotta remove that, the source of the problem, and you do too, by the way. Like before you go out and, and do this massive thing and, and form this army that, that God wants you to form or be the change in your life, you gotta, you know, kind of get that clog out of your life. Maybe remove some of those idols that are keeping you from experiencing God's blessing. So here he is, he's tearing down these idols and he starts to assemble an army because he's got a job to do, right? God's given him a plan and a purpose for his life and to take out the Midianites. He starts building this army but in the middle of all this, he panics. He freaks out. And he goes back to God and he says, God, I need a sign. Like, give me a sign that you're gonna be with me. Give me a sign that, that you're actually in this, that, that this is going to work. Now, we didn't read about it, but right after this meeting with Jesus, the first meeting, um, he says, hey, hey, Jesus, before you go, let me make a, a sacrifice to you. And so he goes and grabs some meat, grabs some wood, builds this altar, he's about to prepare this meal, and, and this angel of the Lord has a staff in his hand, and before Gideon can light the, the meal, this altar, you know, on fire, he takes his staff and he touches it, and flames shoot out of it and consume the altar, right? So Gideon has seen this guy use a flamethrower through a staff, and now he's asking for a sign. That's crazy, right? It's called fleecing. Some of you have heard this. I'm just laying out a fleece before God as if it was a good thing. He had seen a flamethrower, but now he's wanting some wool to be wet. And if it's wet, then I'm gonna trust God. If it's not wet, then I'm not, right? So he does this, goes through this whole fleecing kind of process. But finally, we get to the next chapter. Chapter seven says this, early in the morning, Jerob Baal, that's Gideon's new nickname, by the way. He has two nicknames now. Um, Jerob Baal means Baal destroyer. So he's been called a mighty warrior now and a Baal destroyer by this army that he's gathered. It says this, uh, early in the morning, Jared Baal and all his men, by the way, that's 32,000 men. It was 32,000 soldiers that were gonna go fight an army of 135,000. So four to one, you know, odds. Camped at the spring of Herod, the camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Moray. Now check it out. The Lord said to Gideon, you got too many men. Gideon's like, what you talking about, Jesus, right? What are you talking about? Too many men. Like, do you see these odds right now? It's, it's one of our guys versus every, you know, four of their guys. One guy is gonna have to defeat four guys. This is already a problem, but he says, you have too many men for me to deliver Midian into your hand in order that Israel might not boast against me, boast that they did this in their own strength, right, that their own strength saved them, Announce to that army, anyone who trembles in fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. And the Bible says 22,000 men left. So Gideon goes before all these guys, these soldiers, and says, hey, God said that if you're scared, you can go home. But I know you're not scared. You're real men. So you're gonna stick with me, and you're gonna fight. And 22,000 of them peaced out. And so he goes back to, to Gideon, the Lord says, hey, Gideon, there are still too many men. And Gideon's gotta be in this moment. Could you quit talking to me right now, God? I don't like you anymore, right? He's freaking out about this, but God says, take them down to the water, and I will thin them for you there. And I'll say, if this one, this one shall go with you, he'll, he'll go with you, but if I say to that one, he's not gonna go with you, he's not gonna go with you. 
So Gideon took these men down to the water where the Lord told them to separate those who lap the water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneel down to drink with their hand. 300 men lapped with their hands to their mouth. All the rest got down on their knees and drank. The Lord said to Gideon, with 300 men, the 300 that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. Keep reading. Uh, after wetting thyself, that's the King James Version, it says that. Actually, it doesn't really say that, but the emotion is there, right? I mean, you can imagine 20, you know, 32,000 to 10,000, now to 300, says Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept 300. Now, I don't have time to read you the, the whole thing, the story, the ending, but the battle's amazing. They have this amazing victory that with only 300 soldiers, totally in God's strength, totally only because of God they prevailed, had one of the greatest uh, uh, victories in military history because the battle ultimately belongs to the Lord. It's his in the first place. I wanna give you just one more verse and then we'll dive in. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse seven. This is Paul speaking to uh, his young, um, this young pastor in the faith, Timothy. It says, for God has not given us a, what's that word? Spirit. I want you to remember that. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I wanna talk to you this weekend as we close this series on my monsters about a monster called insecurity. Jot that down. A monster called insecurity. What is insecurity? Insecurity is not feeling like you measure up. Insecurity is feeling like you don't have value. Feels like you don't have have worth, insecurity kind of feels like you are, are damaged goods. It kind of feels like all those harsh words that have been spoken over your life are true, that that's who you are. Insecurity means you're not enough, you're not tall enough, you're not thin enough, you're not smart enough, you're not rich enough, right? You're not pretty enough or handsome enough. Insecurity uh, is feeling like your identity is wrapped up in your imperfections, all those things that, that you wish you had different about yourself. Insecurity is this feeling of being unqualified and inadequate or out of your league, not one of the cool kids. I've struggled with insecurity for most of my life, even until present day. Um, when did it all start, Colby? Well, it all started when, in West Philadelphia, born and raised, on the playground is where I spent most of my days. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, that's Will Smith. Some of you are like, what's going on? Uh, it all started, though, back in this transition time between elementary school and middle school. I don't know if you, some, you remember that time, but that was a difficult time in life, a difficult season because, you know, third, fourth, fifth grade, you know, you feel pretty good. I remember being well-liked in, in those grades. I remember having a lot of friends, you know. I remember feeling like I was well-prepared for life in the fourth grade, all right? After all, the measurement of success in the fourth grade was how far could you jump off the swing and still land on your feet, right? Simpler days back then. But I remember always being one of the first picked for kickball, if not the first pick for kickball. That's right, I'm a good kickball player. <laughs> uh, you know, I remember being fast, pretty fast. Again, well-equipped for life in the, the, their third, fourth, fifth grade. But this transition into middle school was awkward. We moved around a lot, different schools, you know, different friends, all that kind of stuff. And I, I realized when I moved into middle school, I wasn't growing as much as my friends were growing. Everyone was getting taller, right? Everyone, you know, started to get, you know, little, little um, peach fuzz on their face. 
I'm, I'm 44 years old. I have four kids, and this is all I have right here. This is it, right? I still can't grow it. It's just what it is. I'm, you know, I didn't have uh, armpit hair until I was 37 years old. So I'm just saying, I'm what you call a late bloomer, all right? I just finished puberty about five minutes ago. So, but I remember this transition period was, was awkward for me. I remember my friends getting taller than me. Uh, I remember that going into middle school, my, my inseam of my pants wasn't keeping up with the measurement of my waistline, and so my parents would have to buy what's called husky jeans. Does anybody remember husky jeans? Or jeans that were, you know, like six feet too tall for me. They would have to hem and all that kind of stuff. So here I am in middle school, still my, my same fifth grade swing jumping self, but in husky jeans now. And just moving into high school, I just remember carrying that insecurity with me. Being the, the only one in the gym locker room that doesn't have hair under their armpits, that can be like devastating for a freshman, right? Like you girls have no idea. You shave yours off, but that's black gold for a freshman. <laughs> that's a big deal in high school. So I remember dealing with this insecurity really throughout my life. And while some of you can probably relate to some of that, some of you have been shaving since you were like in fifth grade, all right, I get it. But my guess is that many of us in this room, we felt insecure. In some area of your life, in some way in your life, insecurity has a hold on us. It's a monster that we have in our minds. Some point during your journey, you felt insecure. But what happens in those moments of insecurity, we develop coping mechanisms for that. We put on on masks, we, we, we wear security blankets when we feel insecure. Uh, some of those look like uh, us lashing out. When we're insecure, we'll, we'll lash out. That is to say that if you, if you cut me down and make me feel small, then I'm gonna come right back at you and cut you down. I'm gonna make you feel small. Hurt people hurt people, right? So we're, we're lashing out because of our insecurities. Another way that we cope with it is that we shut down. Some of us just kind of dis disengage from everything, um, we don't pretend like we don't care what people say or what people are, are doing. And if I'm not invited to the party, then parties are stupid, right? That's the mentality. We kind of shut down, disengage, while secretly I'm stalking you online to see how fun the party actually was that I wasn't invited to. But we shut down. Uh, others of us, uh, so you know I'm not insecure, I will laugh everything off. Like everything's a joke. Everything is, is funny, Every, nothing is serious, right? We just kind of laugh it all off. Why? Because if I'm laughing on the outside, you can't really tell that I'm insecure and hurting on the inside. So a lot of times we'll just laugh it off or we cope with it uh, by overcompensating. This is the little guy driving the big truck, all right? I'm just saying. You're like, not here, not at this church, I'm sure, but at other churches, it's been done before, that's all I'm saying, right? It could be overcompensating. It could be the person that, that now just kind of throws money around because they didn't get value or didn't have it as they were, were growing up. Uh, we, we, we kind of hide it behind a mask. Uh, this is the, the one upper guy. You know that guy or that girl that you have a story to tell, but their story is always better, right? Like they break into a conversation, like, hey, what are you guys talking about? Well, you know, so-and-so just went to Florida. Oh, yeah, Florida, Florida. Isn't that kind of like the poor man's Bahamas, Florida? I always go to the Bahamas, got a boat, do some fishing for marlin, for, you know, you guys fish for walleye up here, right, and perch and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm fishing for marlin, caught a swordfish once. In fact, I wrestled an alligator down in Ecuador one time, yeah, yeah. And you're like, who is this guy? What's going on? 
but it's this need, this desperate need to be cared for, this desperate uh, need to be, be wanted, to feel affirmed. It's this insecurity that we have. Insecurity is the reason that you will post the, the perfect selfie online after 45 tries, that is, right? Because you gotta get the right angle just to be sure, and then you're like, oh yeah, that one's, that one's perfect. Finally, you can only see two of my chins in that picture. So, so it takes a lot of time. But we do that because of our insecurity, insecurity. Uh, the thing is, insecurity, living with it, is exhausting. It's exhausting, it's, it's tiring. When you're living out of uh, your, your life, out of insecurities, it's almost impossible for us to enjoy the journey that we're on because we're so concerned about our insecurities. I think it's just time for the insecurities in our life to go, don't you? And I think it's time for that monster of insecurity to, to, be, to be set free from our minds, for us to be comfortable in the skin that we're in, for us to be comfortable with who God created us to be. And so we look to Gideon, because Gideon is, is very well equipped for us to, to look at uh, this, this, how we deal with insecurity in our life, because as we meet him, he's hiding. As we meet him, he is, he's haunted by the fact that he doesn't measure up. He's haunted by the fact that he doesn't, doesn't stack up to what he thinks he ought to be in order to live out of some significance in his life. Of course, Gideon's only one, by the way, in a long list of characters we could have chosen from God's word. I think about Moses. Moses had insecurities. When God approached him about leading the Israelites out of Egypt, he just kind of pushed back and said, I can't do it. I'm a stutterer, right? I have a speech impediment. I can't even talk to people well. And so God said, I'm gonna be with you. I think of Jeremiah. Jeremiah said, I don't even wanna see their faces. Like, I'm afraid of them. And God said, you don't have to be afraid of them because I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with you in, this, in this, this, this battle. I'm gonna be, be with you. You don't have to worry. I think of uh, Rachel and Leah, Jacob's two wives, uh, which I'm not recommending, by the way, all right, just to throw that out there. But he had two wives. And one of them he loved the other one uh, initially gave him children. So Rachel, who he loves, but Leah, who produced children for him early on, uh, you know, because children were a sign of significance, a sign of a blessing from God. So he had one wife that has given him the status symbol and another wife that he truly, you know, loved and had affection for. How many of you know uh, dinners around the table were stressful in that relationship, right? Like there was constant comparison, constant you know, looking for validation and value from, from their husband, Jacob, when they should have been looking for it from God in the first place. In fact, both of them ended up having children, both Rachel and Leah, and they named their kids names uh, in order to toss grenades at one another out of insecurity. Insecurity will, will do that, but Gideon is who we picked. Uh, so Gideon's who we're gonna go with. And what is it that we can learn from Gideon about insecurity? What is it that 44-year-old Colby would go back and tell, you know, moving in from fifth grade to sixth grade, uh, Colby, if I could go back and have a heart-to-heart -heart with him, here's the first thing that I would tell him. I want you to jot this down. The cure for insecurity is found in your true identity. The cure for insecurity is found in your true identity. That is to say that when you know who you are, what does it matter who you're not? Like, what does it matter? See, we have an enemy. His name is Satan. He's our spiritual enemy. Uh, he's one of these mind monsters, really, that wants us to live out of this place in our life that we constantly don't feel like we're enough. 
where we always feel like we're not good enough, we're not tall enough, rich enough, thin enough, whatever it is, he wants us to live from this position that we are not enough. But when we are armed with knowing who we are, then what does it matter who we are not? And by the way, who you are is you are loved by God. You need to know that you are loved by God, that God saved you, that God sent Jesus to shed his blood for you, that God has given us the Holy Spirit to live inside of us, that God wants to give us a plan and a purpose for our life, that we are loved by God. So why are you working so hard for the approval from others when you already have the approval of the one who matters the most? That's God, that he loves you. In fact, whenever you feel insecure, I want you to ask yourself these three questions. Jot them down. The first is this. Who do I say I am? Anytime you feel like you don't measure up, anytime you feel like you don't stack up, that you're not enough, ask yourself, who do I say I am? Well, I feel stupid. I feel unlovable. I feel, that's fine. Write it all down. Write it all down. And then ask yourself this question, uh, who does God say I am? And then finally, number three, ask yourself this question, who am I gonna believe? Like, who is the more credible source? Who's gonna be the one I'm gonna be trusting in? Is it gonna be myself, or is it going to be God? And by the way, here's some ammo for that second question, who does God say you are? According to his word, he says you are loved, you are called, you are equipped, you are an overcomer by the blood of the lamb. You are blessed going in, you are blessed going out. You are a royal priesthood, a chosen generation. That's who you are in God. So anytime that insecurity starts to creep up in your mind, well, I'm never gonna be this, I'm never gonna be that. I'm always gonna be an alcoholic like my father was. I'm always gonna, you know, my marriage is gonna fail like every other marriage I own. No, I'm called, I'm equipped, I'm chosen, I'm loved by God. When you operate from that position, instead of wanting, you know, what everyone else thinks about you or even you think about you, like don't worry about what your own mind and your own heart says, but who do I say I am? Who does God say I am? And then ultimately, who am I going to believe? And just so you know, God didn't just get stuck with you, by the way. He chose you, faults and all, skeletons and all. You weren't some uh, white elephant gift that he unwrapped at the staff Christmas party and was wondering, well, what's he gonna get out of you, right? (laughs) He chose you. There has never been a day that that you have uh, disgusted him, shocked him, surprised him with anything that you've ever done, that he loves you the way you are, and he chose you. He uh, adopted you. That's the word. He adopted you. He picked you. He he loves you. You need to remember that. The cure for our insecurity is to find our our true identity, our true identity. Here's the second thing. Jot it down. Comparison steals contentment. The second half of that is so rock what you got. Comparison is a killer of contentment. Hey, Colby, didn't didn't we talk about this last week? Didn't you preach a little bit on comparison? I sure did. And I believe that we could talk about it every single weekend because of the world that we live in wants us to compare, compare, compare. But you need to know this, that it robs us of contentment. It robs us of of our joy because what comparison does is ultimately it takes our eyes off of Jesus and puts them on ourselves. It fixes our eyes on us because when God called Gideon a mighty warrior, right, That's now his true identity because who God says you are, that's who you are. So he is a mighty 
warrior because whatever comes out of God's mouth about you is all that you should worry about, is all that matters. God says mighty warrior and Gideon immediately pushes back. He objects, he says, well, how can I save Israel in verse 15 when my clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family? I'm the weakest, I am the least. In other words, do you understand I am the bottom of the barrel? Like it doesn't get any, any weaker than this and he starts complaining and comparing. He starts looking at the other tribes, he thinks, you know, of Reuben and Dan and Asher or Gad, and thinking all these other tribes that, that were stronger, that these men were, were warriors, and he starts comparing himself to those men, and then he starts looking at his own tribe, and says, I'm the weakest, you know, because I got this uncle who is super buff, and I got this cousin who's super ripped up, you know, and, and I got this brother who's good at business or whatever he is, and he's comparing himself to his own family. He's comparing him, himself to his his tribe, and he's thinking about all these other people that God should have chosen, that God should have picked because of comparison, it sabotaged his ability to have contentment. He was comparing, 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 and by the way, we do the same thing. We do the same thing. We have on us a um, discontentment device that we carry around with us 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's called a cell phone. And anytime you want a shot of discontentment in your life, all you have to do is open it up, pull up your favorite social media app, and scroll, 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 scroll. Well, I'm not as smart as they are, not as good looking as they are, I'm not as rich as they are. My family vacations don't look like their family vacations. That family looks happy. Um, my kids, I secretly want to punt, right? You know, you just kind of scroll, <laughs> scroll, scroll, and compare, and compare and compare, and ultimately what it does, it robs you of your ability to have contentment, robs you of your ability to have, have joy in your, your life. Um, the good news about comparison, just so you know, pastors are above this, false. Like we compare as much, or if not more, than anyone. What's that church doing? You know, what is that pastor doing? How, how are they growing? What's going on in that place? It's just compare, compare, compare. What's the solution? He tells us in verse 14, the Lord turned to him. Again, I think the reason why he turned to him or, or turned his shoulders to him or had to look him in the eye because Gideon had turned away to compare, to think about who he should have gone to, these other tribes, these other people in his family. But he got back in front of him and he said, you go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands, am I not sending you? God was saying to Gideon, what he's saying to us, you are to go in the strength that you have, not in the strength that you don't. Hey, didn't I show up in your tent, Gideon? Like if I would have wanted a, a different soldier, I would have gone to Gad, I would have gone to, to Reuben, but I came to you. I went to Manasseh and I went to the least in the family of Manasseh because I have plans for you. Not because you're equipped, because God equips those who, who he calls. Because I want you to do something uniquely. That I want you to, to do you. I want to use you. Turn to your neighbor right now and tell him, you do you. Go ahead, right now. Let's play along. You do you. Don't try to do what I've called someone else to do another tribe to do, another person in your family to do. You rock what you've got. You're not supposed to be someone else. God chose Gideon on purpose, and he picked you on purpose, by the way, too. He chose him for what he wanted him to do. So stop comparing yourself to all the things that you, you don't have. Rock what you got. Here's a third one. Uh, this is more of a warning than anything else. Write it down, what you build it on 
you must maintain it on. What you build it on, you must maintain it on. In other words, that thing that gives you uh, affirmation or validation must continually supply it in your life. If you just constantly are looking for validation and you're getting it from some, some streams, some sources, you have to constantly feed yourself that affirmation. If you've built your life on that, you have to feed that monster of insecurity over and over and over. So uh, part B of that point is so make sure you choose a sustainable source. Jot that down. What you build it on, you must maintain it on. So you better make sure the building material that you use is a sustainable source. Um, my in-laws have a, a water well. Some of you have, get your water through a water well. It's not a sustainable source. It, it runs dry. And because of that, they have, this, they have this, what they call the water buffalo in their garage, this big massive tank, right, that holds water in case their water runs out because their water, only at their house, one person can shower a week, all right? That's about it that you can do. Uh, if there's a lot of company, the, the rule, if it's yellow, let it mellow. If it's brown, flush it down, applies. Just visual, I'll throw that out there for you but they know that they've tapped into an unsustainable source. It's a commodity that's not going to last, that eventually is going to, to run dry. It's not long-term sustainable, and I say that because I wonder if sometimes we seek to get these quick fixes of affirmation in our life, these quick hits that, that deliver a, 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 a jolt of self-esteem, a little boost into our our life, because there's something to be said, right? If you're feeling low, you're feeling down, go to the mall, spend a little money, get a new outfit, because who doesn't like showing up to a party and everybody looks at you in your new outfit going, mm-hmm, girl, I see you, yeah, yeah, what you got? Like, who doesn't like, you know, wearing a new pair of jeans and somebody com commenting on how you look in them jeans? Or, or guys, you know, who doesn't like rolling up to a, uh, your friend's house in a new truck? And they're like, man, that's a sweet ride. Right? Will those things give you a shot of affirmation, a shot of validation? Yes, of course they will. You post 95 pictures of your vacation on Facebook and you get 95 you know, you know, likes, on, likes on all these pictures, of course that's gonna make you feel good in the moment. But you should know while they're liking those pictures, they're also secretly hating you at the same time. Just throwing that out there, right? And which by the way, just because I'm talking about it now, Stop posting pictures on your vacation, right? Put down your dang phone and enjoy your vacation. I just wanna throw that out there. Stop telling everyone how awesome your vacation is while you're on vacation, all right? Give it a rest, give it a rest. But those things, those shots of affirmation and validation, they are not dangerous because they don't work. They're dangerous because they do work. Because they do make you feel affirmed. They do make you feel like you have value in that moment, but any uh, short uh, dopamine hit of, of affirmation that feeds that monster of insecurity in your mind, it is not sustainable. It is a short-term kind of, of fix because that monster of insecurity is gonna wake up twice as hungry as it was before, looking for more and more affirmation. Um, some of the most miserable times in my life were the result of me getting what I wanted, what I thought what I wanted in the moment. I thought what I, I needed, and then, but then that thing still had to continue to perform, perform, perform in order for me to maintain, you know, getting validation and affirmation from it. But when that well dries up, you know, it doesn't feel so good. Listen, success is not the solution to our insecurity. These little shots of affirmation are not the solution to our insecurity. And I wonder if that's not the reason why 
people hop around from bed to bed to bed, from relationship to relationship to relationship, I'm trying to feed this insatiable need for affirmation and validation. Do you think there are people that are, that are in the grave, in the cemetery, who while on this earth, you know, uh, were presidents of companies and CEOs or made a great name for themselves or and while they were alive had, you know, lots of people working for them and, and telling them, you know, whatever you want, jump how high kind of thing and made a lot of money. Do you think that while they're being lowered six feet underground, how much any of that really mattered? Like those things that they, they, they used to get validation from and affirmation from. Listen, what you build it on, you must maintain it on. So make sure you choose a sustainable source. So what do we do, Colby? We keep our value in a place that's less vulnerable. This is what Jesus tells us. Jesus tells us don't store your treasure up here on earth where it's vulnerable, right? Where things can, can destroy it, where moth and rust are gonna destroy it. But instead, take that treasure and put it in a more secure holding, more secure environment where moth and rust won't destroy. Put your treasure that you have in heaven. Keep your, your value in, a, in something that is less vulnerable. So this is what we need to do. You, do, you need to uh, get to the place where you are not your job. You are not your, your, your picture on Facebook. You are not your Gucci bag. You are not your, your truck. Right? Those that's not who you are. Listen, I love, I love leading this church. I love, I love preaching and sharing God's word. But if I woke up tomorrow and I couldn't do it anymore, that's okay because that's not where I get my identity. That's not it at all. I get my identity from the fact that I am a blood-bought, blood-born son of the living God. So my value's in him, not in the success of this church. Where are you getting your value? Is it a sustainable source? Are you getting your value, your affirmation from things that will not last? They will not last. Put your value in being a son or a daughter of the king, of being loved by him, adopted by him. Um, enjoy the blessings that you have in this life. Just make sure your life is not defined by them. All right, here we go, here we go. Fourth point, fourth point. I only got two more. I got to roll. Um, vulnerability leads to victory. Jot that down. I see this in Gideon's life because in that crazy second passage that we, we read after Gideon gets called by God, uh, after he goes through that kind of fleecing moment, he begins to build up this army to execute that call that God's placed on his life. And the crazy part in chapter seven that we looked at before the battle, you know, he goes in there, I've, I've got 32,000 men, 32,000. He's built up this, this army and God says, nope, that's too many. All right, now I've got 10,000 men. Nope. Still too many. And so he goes into the battle with 300, 300 and Gideon, right? And he's like, Gideon, now that, now you're ready. Now you're ready to do what I've called you to do. And that part is almost like, God, you're just messing with him. Like, why are you messing with his mind? Like, why are you, you know, that's not even cool uh, what you're doing. He was already outnumbered four to one. But Gideon had amassed a little bit of success in raising even an army of, of 32,000. I wonder if the problem wasn't that this little bit of success that he had hadn't become his, his source of security, his source of, of identity, because after all, I mean, it takes a, a lot of work, I'm assuming, to get 32,000 people, 32,000 soldiers together. And I think that maybe after God 
called him this mighty warrior, he thought that he needed to build up an army because after all, mighty warriors have armies. Mighty warriors you know, have this massive amounts of people that, that march in formation. So he had an idea of what he thought a mighty warrior should look like. But had he gone into battle with 32,000, they would have been demolished fighting that way. God did not want them to fight that way. God had some, some last of the Mohicans kind of fighting you know, in mind for them where they were kind of ducking and dodging and they go into this, this battle with, with torches and clay pots. You should read it, it's amazing. Standing on this, this hillside yelling the sword of the Lord and the sword of Gideon. And when that happens, the Midianites start to turn on themselves and kill themselves. Of course that's what they would do. You know, that makes perfect sense, right? But God was getting him to a place where he understand this is not about you. This is not about your strengths. This is not about even your ability in acquiring this army that you have that I want you to fight differently. And just like David, who tried to squeeze himself into Saul's armor, if he would have gone out and fought Goliath that way, he would have been murdered by him. But God said, I went to a shepherd because I wanted a shepherd. And he went to Gideon and said, I wanted, I wanted if I'd have wanted a soldier, I'd have gone to one of those other tribes, but I wanted you. I wanted you because I wanted, I wanted your weaknesses, not your strengths. I was more concerned about your vulnerabilities than I was your ability. And that's what God is telling to us, that it's not in our own strength, right? It's in our weaknesses that his strength is perfected in us. So he says, stay vulnerable. Stay vulnerable because then when you get to that place, when you're outnumbered 301 to 135,000, right? You're fighting from a place of your vulnerabilities and then I can get involved. And then all the glory can go go to me, and if you live that way, in your vulnerabilities, listen, people can hate you, people can claw on you, but you continue to, to risk it all to stay humble, because it's that vulnerability that leads to victory, to victory. Here's the last one, I'm gonna have the band come out, I'm gonna shut it down. If God didn't give it, you don't have to keep it. If God didn't give it to you, you don't have to keep it. In other words, this is your permission slip. When it comes to that monster of insecurity, or let's be honest, when it comes to any of these monsters we've talked about, fear, worry, doubt, any of those ideas that we don't feel good enough, these monsters that plague our, our minds, if there's feelings of inferiority or inadequacy, um, God did not give that to you. Therefore, you don't have to keep it. It didn't come from him. Let me show it to you in this text one more time, 2 Timothy 1, 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Paul was telling Timothy in this moment who was feeling inadequate. He was charged with being the, the pastor of this church called Ephesus and wasn't feeling like he had what it took. I can relate. Wasn't feeling like he was good enough or smart enough. And so in this moment, you know, Paul says, hey, man, that spirit of doubt, that spirit of insecurity, that didn't come from God. God's giving you something different. God's giving you, you know, power, love, and a sound mind. That, that spirit is not from God. You know what the word spirit is? It's the word pneuma, which is the word breath. It, it translates as the word breath or wind. Paul is literally saying to Timothy, that breath, that wind of God, that didn't, come, that didn't come from him. That, that breath of, of fear and doubt, that didn't come from God. That's not from him. Listen, 
Think about what, what did come from God. In the garden, God's creating man in his image and he gathers some dust and he like puts it in a pile and he breathes into that dust and he gives us life. That's the breath that, that God gives us. That's the spirit that God gives us at the point of salvation in our life. Once again, God breathes on us through Jesus and he regenerates us, gives us a, a new life. Maybe you've heard that term, born again. That's what that means. He's breathing the breath of, of life into our, our lungs. Whenever we wake up in the morning and we put forth our best and give God our best, once again, he breathes into us his, his spirit, his presence. When we are struggling, when we're afraid, when we feel doubt in our life, he once again breathes that spirit into our life. He does not breathe fear. He does not breathe insecurity. He does not breathe doubt. The Bible says his spirit breathes power and love and sound mind. So what, what uh, Paul was telling Timothy and what, what God was telling Gideon in that moment where he's in the wine press and he's, he's hiding, he's, he's undercover, and he's kind of throwing up the, the grain and like breathing on it to separate it. He's saying, stop doing this in your own strength. It is not by your might, Gideon. It is not by your power, but it is by my what? Spirit, says the Lord. He wants to breathe it into your life. Stop living from this place of insecurity. So breathe out insecurity. Breathe in power, love, sound mind. Breathe, breathe out comparison. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Breathe out trying to find your identity and everything else. Stop it and breathe in the breath of God, the identity that he's given you and has the, a plan and purpose for you. Listen, if he didn't give it to you, you don't have to keep it. So why are you holding on to it? Here's what I want us to do. Stand up, close your eyes, bow your head. just a moment, we're going to sing a song. But for those of us who have monsters that have been plaguing us, that have been holding us back, keeping us from becoming the people that God wants us to become, allowing our insecurity to, to drive us, to lead us, maybe it's caused us to find validation in everything other than where we're supposed to find that approval and validation from. And that is God knowing who I am in him. Who do I say I am? Who does God say I am? Who am I going to believe? After all, he's the one that created you. He's the one that made you. He's the one that's breathed his, his spirit into your life. He's the one that gives us a new life. He's the one that saves us and, and sets us free and gives us the same power in our life, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And he says, that spirit of fear does not come from me. But what comes from me is power, love, sound mind. Stop being insecure. Stop comparing. Be comfortable in your own skin. Be the person God created you to be. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to sing a song. And we're going to allow God to move in our hearts, to move in our minds this morning. God. We ask that your spirit would move in a mighty way in this place. For those of us who have been living 
uh, from a different identity other than yours, God, I pray that today we fix our eyes on you. We take our eyes off of ourself and place them on the only thing that matters. God, thank you for breathing new life into us. Thank you for your spirit that gives us new life. Thank you for your, your spirit that gives us uh, not this, this fear, but power to overcome it. In Jesus' name. God wants to restore our mind, wants to renew our hearts today. Maybe you walk through these doors and you haven't placed your faith in Jesus. I want to give you a chance to do that. Because everything that we we're talking about is, is for those of us who are in Christ, the Bible says we're a, a new creation. That God gives us his, his spirit, that he breathes new life into us. We get to start over. We have a, a fresh start in him, but the way that happens is we confess our sins. We believe that Jesus is Lord, that his death on the cross pays for our sins. And that we now have a new life in him, find our identity in him alone, stop living from our own identity, but for him. And the reality is some of you, maybe you've never crossed that line of faith. I wanna give you a chance to do that before we leave with every head bowed, every eyes closed. The way we enter into a relationship with God, I'm not gonna ask you to, to walk forward, put you on the spot, I'm gonna ask you to pray a prayer and use your own words. It's the way we communicate with God. It says something like this. You can just repeat it after me. You can uh, say it quietly. You can whisper it to God. But the most important part is that you believe it. Something like this. Jesus, today, I surrender my life to you. Forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for going my own way, for trying to, to do life on my own to find my identity in everything else, but today I'm finding my identity in you, Jesus. I pray that there's no more insecurity or fear or doubt or worry in my life because today I confess you as Lord and Savior. You are the, the Lord of my heart. You are the God of my life. And Jesus, from this moment on, I'm gonna choose to, to live for you and follow you. I ask that you would breathe your spirit into my lungs. Give me a new heart and a fresh start. And from this moment on, God, I'm gonna follow you and devote my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you made a decision to follow Jesus into your life and accept him as Lord and Savior, we would love to know about it. You can go online to elevatechurch.com forward slash yes, and there'll be some practical next steps for you to take along this journey. If you want to commit to feeling the mission and vision of this church to see people far from God reach their full potential in Christ, you can go online to elevatechurch.com forward slash give.